Um, title is of the whole meeting, Jesus and the Other Side of War. And welcome any youngsters uh, watching. I'm just going to tell you about Armistice Day. I think that's how you say it, which is on the 11th of November. It's also known as Remembrance Day. And it marks uh, the day that World War I ended. So you'll probably start learning about that in school soon, if you haven't already. And it ended on the 11th, uh, well, 11 a.m. on the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. And we just held a two-minute silence uh, to remember people who have died in war. Um, And we do that every year, and we do it on Sunday every year. And we also want to remember people who died in World War II, and the Falklands, and the Gulf War, and conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq, and other conflicts that Richard prayed about. How brave they were uh, to lay down their lives so that people listening today can live. And we pray for them. Uh, Well, we pray for the remaining family today. But we give thanks for them, the ones that have given up their lives for us. Jesus says in John 15, uh, love doesn't get higher You can't display your love more highly for someone than dying for them so they can live. Jesus did that, and the heroes of war we remember today do that. And if you're young and you like drawing, um, feel free to just listen. But if you do want to draw some things, uh, I wonder, children, could you draw war? And what your idea of a war is. And I'd be really interested to see what sort of scenario you put it in. Or draw Jesus raising his friend from death. So that sad people are happy again. Because there's lots of sad people today as they remember their loved ones who have died. So I'd love to see any of those ideas you have around that. And here's the point of my message for everyone listening. Jesus actually calls us today to do much more than just remember. Remember those that have died in war. He actually tells church to do something about war and to change the world. Not just remember the difficult times, but to bring change. Because tons of wars that are going on just shouldn't exist. And church can really change that. Everybody listening knows the following fact. War hasn't ended. And there are wars everywhere in loads of areas of life. It's really close to home as we remember war. At the moment, there are political wars. There are domestic wars in home life. There are wars in work. There are wars among religions. There are psychological wars and battles that people face in their heads. Some people, it's a war just to get through the day. The singer Drake, he's a favorite of Park End, he said this in a song last year, trigger fingers can turn into Twitter fingers. And what he means is, we can do harm by shooting people But we can do equal harm by then using those same 
trigger hands to go typing harmful things on social media. And there's absolutely tons of war, hatred and animosity in our lives because trigger fingers are Twitter fingers harming people. And you might not have skipped out of bed this morning because of some war in your life. Life is still full of tears. And we're not just remembering wars of the past today, but current wars that affect us all to some degree or another. So, lots of people alive today and tuning into this message are probably asking this, or at least they will do one day if they're not asking it already. Is there a way to end my war? Or the war that's affected me in some way or another. Is there another side of war? Where is peace? What does it look like? Where can my burdens be lifted? Is there something on the other side of this conflict? And some of you which are really honest might also be asking this. Can there be an end to the war in my heart? Which I sometimes inflict on others and cause harm, and can be full of hate. Where is the beginning of the other side of war? And it's exactly that that church can address today. So we don't just remember wars. We want to look at how we can sort this out. Let me just ask it another way. As we remember brave men and women and children that have laid down their lives in past wars, I wonder, could we ask this? What kind of world would they be happy with? What kind of world would they like to think they fought for and they fought and died to win for us? What kind of world would be the one where they are happy that they fought To win. And actually, the answer that church gives to that, we think this it's a type of war, it's a type of world like the other side of war that Jesus shows in John chapter 11, where he says to his friend, a woman who is so sick of death and multiple wars. And sadness, he says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. No one who believes in me, uh, sorry, (laughs) get this right, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. In the face of of war, pain, suffering, and loss, Jesus says, I am life and resurrection from death and pain. So, my friends, in John chapter 11, we see the Lord God himself, Jesus, wants people and places to be full of life, not death, destruction, and war. God wants people to be the other side of war. And Di Woolridge read very, uh, well, his poem was based on, 
and he read it excellently. John 11:35, Jesus wept at war, wars against God that we wage, wars against Him, wars against ourselves, our neighbors, wars against sin, illness, frailty and death. All of that is captured in the Son of God Himself weeping over His friend which has lost the war against death. The Son of God weeps at the broken world. But here's the point of the message. He didn't just cry. He then goes on to do something about it. Something that he also calls church to do in this life of difficulties. He actually gives answers to the biggest problems of life, namely war and death. Jesus is the answer to these big questions that many of us are asking today. And here's how he does it in John 11. He takes his dead friend and he makes physical changes to him. He calls him back to life, basically bringing joy and happiness to grieving people in their moment of death. He does that, and in that he shows that he is Lord over the physical world and even death. He's in charge of all that stuff. But here's the key. First, he did something else. Before he got involved with raising his loved ones back to life physically, he did something far more radical, which church is called to do today as well. Something far more world-changing than bringing our loved ones back to life, which will happen one day. First, he made Lazarus in his inner depth, in his heart and spirit, a man of peace, not war. A man not of war with himself or the living God or others. Lazarus was a Jesus man. Lazarus was a Jesus man in his heart. Not a man of war, but a man of peace. And yes, Jesus shows that one day he's going to take Lazarus to glory and then give Lazarus, even after that, new body, uh, sinless, free forever. He does that. But first, he sorts out his heart and gets him ready for that coming world of peace. So Lazarus becomes a man of peace right here and now. And it's those types of people who are ready for when Jesus restores everything physically on the last day. But I'll say it again. First, Jesus changes hearts and lives and spirits out of conflict and war. <clears throat> One poet called Jesus a walking, talking armistice. Because he's in the business of changing people who have hearts of war and conflict and hate 
and sin and death and decay. And he speaks these words to them. I am the resurrection and the life. And I will share my life with you and you will live and know peace. And you'll love me and others as much as you love yourself. <clears throat> Today, if you flick through sermons, you're going to hear a lot of sermons on heaven. And that is a comfort for people. Like the coming world of unspeakable joy. But I want us to hear right now a sermon on Jesus who fixes the world now by being himself heaven on earth. And then he fixes people to be just like him. People of heaven on earth as we're getting ready to go to heaven one day. Jesus is the representative of the world of peace to come, the other side of war. But here's the thing. He is that model man today. And he wants church to be model citizens of heaven and peace and love today. And you, as you're listening from home, you need to be a Jesus-centered person today. And don't just remember war. Be a person of peace, forgiveness, and the life of God. Just imagine, like one day Jesus brings in the new heavens and the new earth, heaven on earth. Just imagine if we were all there, still bent towards war and hatred. It's not going to work. We would destroy that world as we so often can destroy this world. <clears throat> Jesus needs to sort out us now. And he did that with Lazarus. And then later on he showed that he's going to sort out Lazarus's physical war against death as well. Don't just grieve for war today and then carry on being people of war. It's not going to bring change. Never forget Jesus' war against sin, hatred, judgment, and death on the cross of Calvary. There he plunges that into the depths of hell itself. And he rises again with new life. To do what? Share that anti-death, anti-sin, anti-decay life with you. And we think the type of war, the type of world that our brave forefathers and mothers would have longed to see is one populated by Jesus-centered people of peace and love, of holiness, who war against things the living God says are full of darkness, who are prayerful people, people of God who love their neighbor like they love themselves. And Jesus calls us to repent from not doing that to doing that with him today. Let me bring this home. Children, 
Let me ask you a question, or teenagers. Why did you make your brother or your sister cry that one time? Maybe you even did it this morning. Why did you do that? Why did you wage that mini war in your bedroom when mum and dad weren't watching? Here's the answer. Because without Jesus, that's just what we're like. We're envious and selfish. We don't like sharing. We cause war to get our way. And that's exactly the same reason as why World War I and II started. It's the same nature in us all. Um, I don't know if you know this, but here's the toddler's rule of life. It's the same rule of life that Adolf Hitler lived by. Here's a toddler's rule of life about toys. If it's mine, it's mine. If you want it, it's still mine. If I want to play with it all day long, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine. If you saw it first, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. Now, that nature that's in us all shuts us out from the life of God. And World War I and II, they show that, what we're capable of. It takes us to death. It takes countries to death, and cities to death, and churches, and schools to death. And in chapter 11, <clears throat> Lazarus has died. He's part of that same fallen, sinful world. But again, we hear these words, I, Jesus, am life in the midst of that death. And Jesus does this for every Jesus-centered member of his church that have died in any war, domestic or international, ever since. He raises their hearts to life. Then he raises their bodies to life on that great day. Because Lazarus was a Jesus man who had his heart saved from sin and made right with God. <clears throat> Let me close by saying a few words and then reading you a letter that I once wrote. And the point again is this. There is no point this morning to detest war if when you switch this stream off, you carry on being at war with everybody in your life and at war with God. Another thing you're going to hear this time of year is religions cause all of the wars. And if we could just get rid of religion, then there'd be peace. Right, let me address these two things by telling you a story. I had a really good friend in my last uh, church. Well, he wasn't part of the church. He lived nearby. And he used to change my tires and my cars when they got flat. And the first time I ever met him, I'll call him Steve just in case he's watching and he doesn't want me to use his middle name. Um, first time I went to get my tire changed, I met him for the first time. For some reason, I was holding my Bible when I got out the car. I can't remember why. And uh, he talked to me about the flat tire, and then he said this, You see that book? And I looked down, yeah, I see it. Your Bible is the cause 
of all of the war on planet Earth right now. And I was like, well, my Bible, not just the, my Bible. I was taken back a bit. And I was like, okay, hey, thanks for saying that, because that's actually a really important statement to make. Just give me a minute. And what I did, I went home, and I dug, I'm not sure he was expecting it, <clears throat> but I dug out a few of my books and wrote him a letter and handed it to him to read when he got home after work. I went home and dug out the three-volume book called The Encyclopedia of Wars. And in that book, it documents about 1,800 wars that have been fought over the course of human history. Here's an interesting statistic. Of those wars, only 123 have been religious in nature, which is an astonishingly low 6.98%. All right, bump it up a bit since the books have been made. 7%. And here's the truth. And this was all in the letter to my friend. We'll call him Steve. The truth is, that non-religious motivations and naturalistic anti-Jesus philosophies bear the blame for nearly all of the atrocities across humankind's history. And I then rattled off, one, two, three, four, five, six, the top seven anti-Jesus non-religious dictators' death toll of murder. And I won't go into Pol Pot, Hidekai Tojo, Vladimir Lenin, Chiang Kai-shek. We'll just go to the top three of non-religious murder. Adolf Hitler, we remember him today, not necessarily in a good way. 20,946,000 death. Mao Zedong, he's number two, 37,828,000 deaths, murders in the name of whatever war he fought. Number one. Joseph Stalin, 42,672,000. I didn't actually stop the letter there, because I also dug out another book called Lethal Politics and Death by Government by R.J. Rummel. It's a real page-turner, and I recommend it for all of you. But if you're not tempted to get it, I'll tell you one of the main points in it now. It's recorded in that book that non-religious wars are basically responsible for 360 million murders in the name of whatever policy, anti-Jesus policy and war that they are waging. And so the letter ends like this, and so does the sermon. I really appreciate you changing my tire and for raising this, and I'll be praying for you, and hopefully we'll be friends for a long time. But pay attention Steve, and everybody listening, pay attention to this. And Lazarus had to address this in his own life as well, before he was raised from the dead. Jesus provides the answer to why there are wars, and the cause of basically nearly all war. And he says it in Mark chapter 7, verse 21. Here's what Jesus says. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, theft, murder, adultery, deeds of coveting and wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, 
slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things come from within us and defile us and destroy us. In short, we remember this day, humans cause wars. Humans are sinfuls. And we here are part of a church which spreads the message of Jesus that He deals with our biggest problem of sin. And He really changes people. He and He alone. Jesus must take away our sin this morning. Jesus took sin to hell itself and hatred and rose again. Jesus brings you this morning a new heart, a new life. Jesus is the other side of war right now. Can you say with Todd Smith, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know this day that my wars and conflicts are finished. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.